We return again uh, this morning uh, to the text. We had looked at half of the verses uh, in this paragraph last Sunday morning. This is found in the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 11. We're looking at the last paragraph there, verses 25 through 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. This is God's most holy word. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. We respond to God's word with a hearty amen. Amen. When we looked at this text last Lord's Day, we were looking at God's absolute sovereignty uh, in the application of salvation by grace. It is affirmed here by our Savior in no uncertain terms. Uh, the, The Father reveals the Son to whom He wills. The Son reveals the Father to whom He wills. The Father hides these things, and we were we saw last week in the context the things having to do with salvation, the gospel, uh, as far as a saving understanding of these things. The Father hides these things from the wise and prudent but reveals them to babes. Yet God also finds fault and places blame on those who refuse to come to Christ. Chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith goes into detail on this and gives us some idea of how we can maybe, in a small way, begin to understand how these two truths work together. God ordains the end, but he also ordains all the means to the end. And part of the means are human beings as sinners making true choices. And that also has been included as part of God's plan, but in such a way that God is not morally responsible for the evil choices of evil men. And yet God is so big... None of that takes him by surprise, and none of that can defeat his plan. And so we don't understand fully how those things work together. And I actually asked um, that we use the text we did that Bill read to us earlier uh, in regard to Pharaoh and his heart. I don't know if you ever noticed this, but you know, you start off with Pharaoh hardens his heart. And then it goes to a passive mood. His heart was hardened. You know, if you choose evil, you become evil. That's something our society often doesn't 
doesn't think about, you know. Yes, my son, I know, he says to the newspaper, my son, I know, killed five people, but he's really a good boy at heart. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, if you're a good boy at heart, you don't kill five people. You know, that's not what you do. And Jesus said, a bad tree bears bad fruit, good tree bears good fruit. And of course, the problem is, is that they're not starting with the premise that we're all sinners and all need grace. They're looking at it. Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, you are approaching reality in a legalistic manner to some degree or other, or in some way or another. But uh, Pharaoh hardened his heart. His heart was hardened. And then we're told God hardened his heart. And, uh, you know, how do you bring all of that together? And uh, in Romans 9, Paul says, this demonstrates the sovereignty of God in regard to salvation, in regard to damnation. Um, But uh, for just a few minutes here, we're going to mainly concentrate on this morning on the last three verses of our text where Jesus says, come to me, and there in that imperative, that wonderful command, come to me, that's also an invitation, we see human responsibility. You know, it's, uh, if he uses a command, then he's using it because we're to respond to that. But uh, for just a minute, I'd like to look just for a few seconds further at the benefits we have as those who also believe God's absolute sovereignty in regard to our salvation in Christ. I'm going to mention what I'm going to call three perks, um, three benefits we get as those who by God's grace have come to see that he is sovereign. And first, um, assurance of personal salvation, especially comfort in our times of failure. You know, we, we, we mess up. We, we fall short. And we remind ourselves that this is God's work. He began it, and he will complete it. Now, I began the ministry as an, Ar- uh, as an Arminian. Uh, I was an Arminian very long. I, I had my first senior pastor. It was two and a half years, and I went there in Arminian and left a five-point Calvinist. Um, and that's not a real long period there. And partly, it was trying to preach the gospel from an Arminian point of view that made me go back and look at some of the text differently. Uh, one thing I, I observed was that the why do of assurance, you know, even the Wesley Arminians I was preaching to, some of whom believed they hadn't sinned in 20 years, still did fall short and um, still would struggle with guilt. And how do I know I'm, I'm, I'm right with God? And we have assurance. I think it can only be based, ultimately, a settled assurance can only be based on the fact that this is God's work, ultimately. He begins this, he'll complete it. It's not up to me to make it all work and, and stay together. Romans eight twenty-eight through 30 is that, sometimes called the golden chain, you know, those whom he foreknew that his love to head, he predestined. And those whom he predestined, uh, he called. That means effectually called. That's how Paul uses that, effectively calls. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. It's interesting, though Paul usually makes sure we understand sanctifications in between justification and glorification. He jumps over it there. 
on purpose. Because what he's saying is, is everyone who is foreknown is predestined. Everyone who is predestined is called. Everyone who is called is justified. Everyone who is justified is glorified. And uh, our our sanctification is this gradual, never in this life totally perfected work. So he jumps over that and goes right from justification uh, to glorification. Uh, Assurance of personal salvation. And then a second uh, use of God's sovereignty uh, is encouragement in our times of affliction. God is in control. doesn't matter what's happening at any given moment. If I know that God is in control, and I, I believe Romans 8, 28, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his promise. If he works all things together, he has to be in control of all things to do that then I believe that he has a good purpose for me as a Christian, even through and by means of these trials. And uh, I know I can trust him. I know I don't need to give in. I should not give in to worry or despair. And this will help us stay faithful in trusting him. Now, it's interesting that this is how it's used in Romans 8. This is part part of the context in Romans 8. Uh, is that um, no matter what happens to me, I know that the Lord's working out this good plan for me. This, this ultimate glory is going to be more than just pardon. It's the power of God at work within us to tr- transform us into the image of his son. And uh, he, he's, he's going to accomplish that. He is accomplishing it. And if we, if we think that this is up to us, we soon get discouraged and downcast uh, for we do fall short. And many of us have experienced that who have been Arminians in the past uh, who have not held to God's absolute sovereignty and have only emphasized our, our own responsibility. How discouraging it can get, especially at your times you try the hardest and still fall short. That is so discouraging. But if you know that he is going to continue to work in you, that's really what Calvinism is, this supernatural, this belief in the supernatural power of God to save us, start to finish, then you don't give up. Even when you fail, you don't give up because the end, the end is guaranteed to you. And so there's a motivation there. And that's actually part of the context in Romans 8 also. Verses 1 through 17 is dealing with the fact that because of justification by faith, therefore, we begin to live a new life. Because, see, it's that basis of being in union with Christ that is so encouraging to us. So, as far as God's absolute sovereignty, we must be careful of misusing that great truth. Uh, Jesus Christ teaches it here, but we have to be careful we don't misuse it or abuse it. And I've known people that have, and you probably have too. And we must be careful we don't deny the absolute sovereignty of God. As I grow older, I see more and more that one basic part of our sinfulness, I'm convinced of this, is to go to extremes. You know, I have a problem over here, so I'm going to fix it. So I go way over here, and I break everything in a whole different way. And we're seeing that. We're seeing that uh, the extremes in our society politically, aren't we? And people can't even live together hardly in harmony. But we can do that in our spiritual life as well. Uh, 
we need to understand there is God's absolute sovereignty, but there's this flip side of the coin, human responsibility. Yes, God is sovereign over all things and all agents, but rational agents, rational creatures, angels and men, are responsible for their choices. And we see that here as we move on then uh, from verses 25 through 27 to verses 28 through 30, where our Savior says to us, Come to me. Aren't these comforting verses here? How many times as a Christian, whether you understood, uh, whether you thought much about sovereignty and responsibility, how many times as a Christian, a new Christian perhaps, did you find comfort in these very words? How Jesus says it, the very, the very tone of voice you can almost hear from the, from the words themselves. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. Can't you just hear the sweet comfort in his voice? You can't say, I'm meek and lowly in heart and come to me and I'll give you rest and picture him with a whip, you know, whipping you, you know, to come. It won't work, will it? There, there's a tenderness. Really, the, the word we translate gentle there is that word we translate meek in the Beatitudes, blessed are the meek. And, and um, one of the, you know, it's legitimately translated meek or gentle or even courteous or kind. Those, those are words that, English words, that kind of help bring out some of the force of that original word. Now, if you come, we've already seen it's going to be because he made himself known to you in the preaching of the gospel. And after you come, it's important you begin to appreciate that it was because of him that you came that he might receive all the honor for your salvation. But as you and I, as, as we as sinners hear this text, our first concern is to heed his commands and to come. We are all responsible for whether we hear and obey this gracious invitation or not. If we do, it's only by God's grace. If we don't, it's because of our sinful rebellion. We are accountable. I don't know if you've ever picked this up in the Reformed creeds and catechisms, but whenever they, it's not just the Westminster, it's the uh, three forms of unity with the, the, uh, your, the uh, continental Reformed churches as well. If you're talking about our salvation, it's all of grace. If you're talking about hell, it's because of our sin and our sinful choice. You know, no one gets sent to hell on um, just a, a kind of a, an arbitrary decision on God's part that I don't care how good they've been, I'm still going to send them to hell. That, you know, no, we, we all deserve hell. If we go to hell, hell is for sinners, and we are all sinners. And it's grace that's not arbitrary, but we don't understand why we were chosen. There are hymns like that, right? Why was I chosen when millions, you know, uh, uh, make a, I forget what the, the word, a woeful choice or something like that? Um, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's purely him at work in us, ultimately. And on the other hand, it is what's being chosen by the sinner. 
So last week we looked at the absent sovereignty of God in salvation and therefore in the damnation of sinners, verses 25 through 27. And this morning, verses 28 through 30, the earnest and free call to sinners to come and to experience God's salvation in Christ. Just think of the freeness of the gospel invitation as we find that throughout Scripture. But I think especially here in this text, it just comes across so wonderfully and so forcefully. Come to me. Come to me. You are heavy laden. Come to me, you who labor. I'll give you rest. He says it twice that he will give us rest. To whom is Christ calling? And in verse 28, it's those who labor, those who labor, and also those with a load. How many of us as adults here, and I'm sure this is all of us, have had a job at some time or other that involved hard physical labor? And maybe you've had a job where um, you had to carry a heavy load. And, and if you had to carry that load long enough, how you felt like there come a point you didn't know if you could take another step or not. When I was a young man and studying for the ministry, uh, I, had, I was not a master of any physical skill, so I did unskilled labor, which a lot of young guys do. And often those jobs, you know, uh, they don't take much in the way of brains. Let's put it that way. Not all, this is not true for all of them, but the ones I did didn't take a lot of brains, but you, had, you were physically exhausted you know, in the first hour or so, and you had the rest of the day to go, carrying some kind of load. I remember one sheet metal factory I worked in took two guys to lift up this part and put on an assembly line. And we had to keep doing it eight hours. And uh, and the first day you did it, you thought, I'm never going to make it through that eight hours. And you were very exhausted by the end of that eight hours. Jesus here is talking about those who labor. And uh, uh, those uh, who have a, a load, a burden. Those who labor, those who labor under a sense of guilt and condemnation. That's a labor of the soul, isn't it? When you're convicted of sin, but you're not yet assured of pardon. Most of us have had some length of time in that condition. I would have to say that had to be the most... I've had some really difficult, both physical or emotional, uh, times in my life. But I think conviction of sin before I know there's pardon had to have been the worst to experience emotionally in, in my inner man. To know that, you know, once I, I knew I was a sinner, but I didn't yet know that my sins had been pardoned. Such a heavy task. Um, along that line, the labor of self-righteousness. Of self-righteousness. Of, of sinners trying to make themselves good. There was a saying we used, I, I assume you used it here too in the East, but in the Bible about you know, trying to lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, the picture, you grab hold of your shoestrings and try to lift yourself up in the air. Which, of course, is impossible. You know? And if ever there is an attempt to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps, something impossible is a sinner trying to be good enough to atone for his or her sin. 
you know, the way I used to put it to my congregation in Merrimack was, we're the problem. We're the problem. Our sin, us, the sinner, we're the How can we be the solution? If we could put ourselves right with God, we'd never, we'd already be right with God. You know, we're the problem. We, we can't be the solution. Yet we try to be, and it just, it just doesn't work. And I have done jobs. There, there's part of my personality is if I start a task, I feel like I have to finish it. And so when I've started a task, maybe a physical task, and it, there's a point where I, I, I ought to recognize, Alan, this is beyond your skills. You, you, you really can't do this job right. And I, I think, no, I've, got, you know, I've got this time and effort invested in it. I've got, got to keep at it. And then sooner or later, you do have to recognize, no, I can't do this job. And how discouraging. What a, what a, a, a labor that is for the sinner to try to put themselves right with God. Luke 6.43 is the text I referred to earlier. Jesus says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Uh, you know, there's a, the reason we're sinners is because we're sinful. You know, the reason we're sinners is because we're sinful. If we, if we could be righteous in ourselves, we, would, we wouldn't need to be fixed from our sin. Romans 3, 10 through 12, and then of course that summary in verse 23 Romans 3 10 through 12 quotes Old Testament verses saying none are righteous of Adam's fallen race none of us not one does good and actually he uses an expression in the New Testament Greek where it's correctly translated in most of our translations no not even one it's it's emphatic and then verse 23 for we all have sinned that's past tense isn't it and fall short in the Greek that, and it is in our English translations. That's present tense. We fall short of the glory of God. We still, as Christians even, uh, could never make ourselves right with God. We couldn't. Even with a regenerate nature, we can never accomplish such a holiness of heart and life in this world that we could stand through the final judgment. Our confession, uh, the confession, uh, Westminster Confession of Faith brings this out. I think on the chapter on good works, that when, when we finally have kind of reached as far as we're going to go in this world, we're still far from being all we ought to be. And so at the end of the day, when we come before God in the final judgment, and there will be one, it's going to be justification by faith that, that is the, the solution. Is Christ's righteousness is what's going to get us through the, the judgment. Not even that imperfect life of growing righteousness in our sanctification. It's going to be Christ's perfect righteousness imputed to us. Romans 10, 1 through 4, uh, Paul is talking about how many of the Jews in his day have rejected the good news of Messiah. And he says, why? Well, he says, because they were trying to establish their own righteousness. The gospel is about God giving us righteousness, reckoning us righteous in Christ. But if we don't see that, then we, we try to produce righteousness. And that is 
again, such a heart-rending rending labor. We've all known, as I've said, or most of us have, back-breaking labor. But there's heart-breaking labor as well. And um, in such a case, uh, we can see why the gospel's called good news. You know, when I would do those back-breaking jobs as a young man working in the, the factories in the Midwest, that, that um, I think it was a buzzer or something would go off at the end of the shift. Boy, that buzzer sure sounded good, you know. It really, some days that was such a beautiful sound. It's like a beautiful piece of music to hear that thing go and know, that, okay, I can stop, you know. I can, I can rest. And truly, the gospel of Christ is good news to those who labor. And those with a load, those with a load, that's what laboring's about. A burden on the back too heavy for us to carry or get out from under. Heavy laden with the guilt and condemnation of our sins, our sinfulness, our deliberate wrongdoing, as well as our failures in performing our spiritual duties, our moral weaknesses. Probably most of you have read uh, at least part one of Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, I was under, uh, I had grown up in the Christian church. I, I believe I was a true believer but I had backslidden, and this is in uh, middle school. And uh, in my sophomore year, freshman and sophomore year of high school, the Lord really worked powerfully and brought me uh, to my knees, and I had a, a fresh sense of God's pardon and assurance. It was very powerful to me. Well, in my junior year, I was in a literature class, and uh, the literature teacher was not a Christian, to put it mildly. So he's going down through the list of classics, and he's talking, you know, I recommend this one, and this one's about this. He got down to Pilgrim's Progress. He said, oh, this is a boring story, a symbolic story, allegory, allegory about some guy becoming religious, becoming a Christian. And um, I don't recommend it, but you can read it if you want to. So the bell rang, and I ran to the, church, the school library afraid somebody else might go for it. I don't know why. I probably hadn't been checked out in 10 years, you know. And um, that was my first reading of Pilgrim's Progress. I remember I got to the part where Christian's load rolls off his back. Remember that part? Remember what he's looking at when it rolls off? He's looking at the cross. He looks at the cross and this heavy load that's been, that's been the point of the story up to this point, you know, after that part in the story. You know, this is the thing. He's got this heavy load. How can I get rid of it? He looks at the cross and he just rolls away. And uh, I was working at uh, a part-time job at Baskin Robbins, and, uh, and I was getting to read the book because they had to stay open even during off-season by the, the fran franchise. And so we'd sit there through the winter and not not have any work to do. So we were told we could do our schoolwork. I'm sitting there reading Pilgrim's Progress, wanting to cry at the joy of reading this allegorical uh, picture of what I had just experienced uh, the year or so before. In other words, those under conviction for their sin, those who are not only sinners, but know they're sinners, and, and by the grace of God at work in their hearts, they begin to grieve over their sin. This is the, the, those with a load. And uh, if you've known that, then uh, you know how sweet it was to hear, really hear, 
uh, spiritually the invitation of Christ to come to him. But to what is Christ calling us? And uh, this is a uh, verse 29, a call to repentance. And verses 28 and 29, a call to relief. First, a call to repentance. He says, take my yoke upon you. That's what he's calling us to. Come to me and take my yoke. Accept the responsibility um, that he does give, which is not to work out our own righteousness by our own efforts or good works, but to trust in Christ for his righteousness to be imputed to us freely. You know, that's the first stage in repentance. You know, you first repent of your good works, your legalistic good works. And then, after having believed and and obeyed God's command to believe the gospel of his son, and knowing that you're right with God by grace, then you do good works now that the Puritans called evangelical or gospel good works. And it could be the exact same work. Before I trust in Christ, I might feed the poor out of a sense of legalism. And it doesn't really please God. And I repent of my legalistic mindset, my self-righteousness, uh, as I obey Christ's command and I uh, come to him and take his yoke upon me. And then, knowing that my sins are forgiven, then I might feed the poor out of a totally different motivation. The exact same work, but it's totally different before God because of the motivation. Now it's gospel work. It's work that flows out of a right relationship with God by grace. We repent as we trust Christ to help us repent of our sin. Uh, As we rely on the power and the indwelling spirit of grace to enable us to put aside sin and put on gospel obedience. The ox has to be yoked to be controlled. We put ourselves freely under his yoke by the power of his gracious call that we saw back up in verse 25. And desire to be directed by him, by his word. Repentance and faith go hand in hand. Or you can say that faith involves believing the facts, trusting in what God has promised, and then committing ourselves to him, repentance. We are to uh, learn from him. For he is what we ought to be, and what we are not in ourselves. Meek and lowly in heart, which is the proper frame of mind for the creature, and even more so for the sinful creature. And again, the biblical nature of faith comes out here. There is a humility in trusting in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And there is a submission to his word because we have trusted in the truthfulness of his promise. Have you repented? Have you turned from sin, turned to Christ and to his righteousness by faith in him alone? And is this what we call others to, our children and family and friends and co-workers in our personal evangelism, to come to him, turn from their own self-righteousness, to repent of thinking that we're good and can make ourselves good enough, but to trust only in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Uh, So it's a call to repentance, but that same call then is a call to relief. And here uh, we move from a gracious command to a gracious promise 
And this is uh, again repeated, and it's in verse 28 and 29. It's one of the most wonderful statements made by our Lord Jesus Christ to us as sinners. Come, and I will give you rest. If we recognize our labor and heavy burden and come to him, he will give us rest from this labor and this heavy burden. He gives both forgiveness or pardon and deliverance. He rescues us ultimately not only from the guilt but also the power and condemnation of sin. He gives a true righteousness as we're reckoned right with the righteousness of Christ and that results in a change in who we are. And that too is only by the grace of Jesus Christ. As we take his yoke upon us and learn from him, as we repent and believe, as we trust his promises and submit to him, then we will find that he who in his perfect human nature is gentle and lowly in heart will enable us to find rest for our souls. So much more important than rest for our bodies. How many people long for this? How many billionaires long for rest for the soul and don't know where to find it? It is found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I trust that you've experienced this relief and this rest in yourself. Come to Christ. Take his yoke upon you. That is, trust in him. Learn from him. And in all of this, there is uh, first a recognition of our own inability and sinfulness. And secondly, a recognition of his sufficiency and his willingness to save all who come to him in repentance and faith, in trust and submission. Why is Christ calling us to do this? Why does he, why does responding to his call give us rest? Well, uh, two things here, his heart and his yoke. First, his heart. Why is he calling us to this, his heart? Verse 29. He is gentle. And again, this word means meek, courteous, humble towards others. And yet, at the same time, he's the eternal and almighty son of God. He is lowly in heart. Think of that. We're thinking about God the Son in his true human nature as the Son of Man. He is lowly in heart, which refers to his humility before the Father. You know, he aimed to do the Father's will and his humility towards people. This, this is the perfect man, this is the perfect human being. We're thinking now about his human nature. I think when he says, I'm meek and lowly in heart, he's especially referring to himself as the Son of Man. You know, a creature, by definition, is dependent on a creator. And that's exactly where we went wrong. You know, we try to become God ourselves instead of worshiping and obeying God. That's where we've gone wrong. And what do we have here in the one <coughs> who uh, is restoring us? Well, he comes as the true man, the one who does it right. He's gentle and lowly in heart. And yet again, he's the eternal son of God. And this is why, though he is infinitely holy and he's infinitely just, he's also completely approachable by all sinners who repent and turn to him in faith. 
His heart is an open, loving heart to all those that he has chosen to reveal the Father to, which is the Father. If we come in response to his gracious invitation, we will not find him a stern or ungracious host. Have you ever been in the uncomfortable position where someone invited you over, and when you got there, for some reason, they didn't want you there, and you could tell, but they never actually said it? I have been, you know, um, where there was an invitation, I went, and I, they must have had a hard day that day or something, a bad day, and I could tell that, you know, I, you know, I stayed just long enough to be polite, and I got out of there, you know. Uh, they, they, you can, you can have an ungracious kind of host. This is a gracious host. He's not stern. We don't have um, to earn his favor. He gives his favor as we come to him. There was a controversy called the Merrill uh, controversy among the Puritans way back. And part of the issue was uh, because of a desire to want to emphasize the the fruit of justification, the sanctification, there were some who began to make it sound almost like you had uh, uh, that repentance meant making yourself good enough to come and be able to receive God's forgiveness. And if you think through that, there's a contradiction there, you know. And uh, so the Merrill men said, no, you don't have to, you don't fix yourself so you can come and get fixed. You come broken, and you don't have to spend months and months trying to grovel enough for God to receive you. You come and you lay yourself before Christ and his cross and trust him and his promises. Now, what is uh, responding, why does responding give us, us rest then? Verse 30, his yoke. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. His yoke is easy. If he grants repentance... Acts 5.31, repentance is a gift from God. And he grants us faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, you know, that, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. This submission on the part of those whom he has willed to reveal to the Father is not this horrible burden and heart-rending labor that we knew before in our sin and self-righteousness. It's a matter of joy and blessing. Because of that which follows and because of his enabling grace within. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. His load is an enjoyable load. Uh, it's not a burden that bows us down, but it is a joy and privilege to carry. What is his burden? What's he lay on you? Uh, forgiveness of sins. That's a burden you have to carry, that your sins are all forgiven. Assurance that your sins are forgiven. What a what a burden, uh, putting the word burden in quote marks, right? Because who, who would really consider it a burden? Uh, the certain hope of heaven that nothing can shake. The promise that, that he will continue to work in us and enable us to persevere. This is the, the heavy burden he puts on us. No wonder he calls it a light burden. Uh, and he calls it easy. Have you taken on this burden, this yoke? There is no salvation, no true reconciliation with God unless by his grace you've taken on this yoke of Christ. Is this yoke difficult? 
I've already intimated that it's not, but only if we've been regenerated. See, only if God has, uh, in his choice of us, begun to work in us by his grace. Actually, what he calls us to is impossible apart from grace. He's calling us to die to self. He's calling us to die to self-reliance, to... um, to living as we please, we're to die to that and to give ourselves to him instead. Uh, we die to giving ourselves over to sin. And we can't do that at all apart from his grace moving upon our hearts in this work of marvelous transformation. But with that grace at work in us, this is the lightest and easiest load of burden that you'll ever know. If you have come, Give God all the glory. He will to make himself known to you in Christ. And if you have not come, you must come, or you will carry your truly heavy burden of sin forever. Brothers and sisters, this is the message we send forth. And upon this message, Christ will indeed build his church. We proclaim the absolute sovereignty of the Almighty God. This is really by grace, not by what we do. But we proclaim just as loudly and widely the gracious invitation of the Son of God for us to choose him. We will only come. We will only choose him because he's first chosen us. But that's not, that's not what we're thinking about initially. Initially, we're thinking about this gracious invitation for sinners to come and find rest in him. Let's pray.